Um, another reminder that I want to give that wasn't one of the announcements, but I'm going to go there. Banda Brothers Breakfast, Saturday, December 2nd. Thank you. I was waiting for something. My goodness. Let's try that again. Banda Brothers Breakfast, Saturday, December 2nd. Yeah, there we go. All right. So that's at 7.30 a.m. We're going to have manly breakfast. Um, please RSVP to the email, uh, Stuff to Know Had It. I'll be sending out a link. It's at 7.30 a.m. this time So for uh, some folks who need to get their dishes ready and have a little extra sleep in that process. But it'll be a blessed time, men, so please make the time to come out for that. And again, it is a busy season, but let's not forget what the focus is, Jesus. As Christmas is coming, let's not forget the focus, Jesus. Now, last week, we were in John chapter 5. We did verses 1 to 15, and we saw a miracle take place in that moment. And we saw what should have been a moment of awe and wonder. It should have been a moment where they were saying, when did that happen? Where did you get that healing? How did it happen? But what did they focus on? Who? Who did this? Who told you to break the rules? And we were reminded in that, and we saw the heart of legalism. Because it comes more about the rules, following all the rules, than loving people. And again, reminding us, check your heart on that. Are you more about the rules and this has to fit X, Y, Z in the way that I'm saying? Or are you just about loving people? We were reminded with this passage to have the anchor be, once again, the word of God alone. And in this encounter, we see Jesus in obedience to God's timing and God's perfect will because it's on the Sabbath. And that sparks a controversy, and that's the controversy we're going to look at because the door is now open to the official persecution of our king. The official persecution begins. Now, the charge check-in, there was a pre-charge before the actual charge, and the pre-charge, receive the word of God, obey it, and do it. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with receiving what the word of God says, obeying it, and doing it, living it, being that living sacrifice? And the charge, one, what are you waiting on God for? What are you right now waiting on God for? And are you able to trust? Are you able to trust? Are you able to rest in his sovereignty? Two, do you want to be made well? And with that, is there any legalism that's crept in within your heart? Or is there any parts of your heart that's misinterpreting the word of God? You're taking verses out of context, extracting it, making it what you want, going to books that have the Bible in it rather than just the word of God. Where are you with that? Is the word of God in context enough? Or do you need to add a bunch of things to it? And three, who has a sin-sick soul needing you to tell them about Jesus? And really, if that charge was done... I would ask, who should we be praying for that you minister to, that you witness to, that they may come to know Jesus Messiah unto salvation? Saints, this is an urgent time. And I can't stress enough, we need to be urgent about sharing the gospel. We see the stage is set, biblical prophecy, the stage is set for things to continue moving forward. We need to be about being that living sacrifice and sharing who Jesus is. Now today, we're going to be in John uh, 15, uh, sorry, not 15, 5, just kidding, we're we're skipping. We're going to be in John 5, verses 16 to 30, with a message I've entitled, Father and Son. Now, we're going to be doing the follow-up here to this miracle, and it continues this follow-up, and the controversy ensues with the religious leaders. Why does this controversy ensue? Well, one, the Sabbath. Because he's not following the rules, he's going on the Sabbath, and two, blasphemy. 
we're going to see in this passage that he claims Jesus to be God, which we know is true. We've seen in John 1.1, but they are going to struggle with that. In this passage, we're going to see Jesus confirm his deity. He is, in fact, equal to God. We're also, saints, going to see passages that Jehovah's Witnesses and others will use to say Jesus is not God. And it's important that you know that while we're going through the gospel. I'm always going to let you know, hey, other groups will take the same verses we're going to, and they'll take these and say, well, look at that. He's not God. And it's important for us to know that as we equip ourselves. We will see the judgment to come. It's going to be given by God the Son from God the Father. We're going to see application in this passage to our marriages, to family, and most importantly, our relationship with Jesus. In this passage, we're going to see Jesus, he doesn't back down. He doesn't come to have the answers that he has to give and say, okay, well, I got to squirm around it. No, he just lays out facts. Boom, 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 boom. And that's what we're going to see. He just goes through speaking and putting forth the facts and reminding, I am the great I am. Because his purpose, again, salvation. Now, this is timely because Christmas is coming. Christmas is around the corner. And it was fascinating as studying this text and preparing it this week. I was like, whoa, Lord, cool. You did it again. We just commit to following the word and you put a smack where we need to be. Because as you're getting ready, some of you might even be doing Christmas decorating this afternoon. I want to remind us the reason for all of this is Jesus. I want to remind us, don't just do what you've done or don't just do it because it's what the world says to do. We've got to spend a bunch of money. We've got to go commercialism. We've got to do all these things. Don't just do it because that's what the world says. Santa Claus, it's a fascinating one. I saw something interesting once because if you think about it, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you've been bad or good. We train children to believe in Santa Claus who's omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, knows everything that you've done. And then when they find out he's a farce, we expect, him to be- we expect them to believe in Jesus. So we need to be mindful and remember what the focus of the season is. Jesus. And we're going to be reminded of him today, of course, as we dig in our text. But I want to first have us think of uh, a carol. I'm going to start it and you sing the next part. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Wow. John, get more voices for choir, wherever he is right now. There's more voices for choir. Now, when we look at this song that we all know, we sometimes, as we sing these carols, don't think about the verses enough when we sing them. Now, this is going to be a longer intro to the text that we're going to study than I would normally do, but stay with me. The second verse of this song says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, I'm going, I, I heard echoes, so I was like, hang on, I'm going, friends, I don't need an echo right now. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God with us is what Emmanuel means. Now, when we look at this, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate, deity. Veiled in flesh, God veiled in flesh. Now that should make us think of the start of this gospel that we did. So if we go back to the very beginning of this book that we started and we look at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So as we look at that, we think about our Savior in the context of the beginning of this book. God, Jesus, Jesus, Son of God, is there at the very beginning. He is equal to God. He is deity with God. He is there from the beginning of creation, seeing the Father do all. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. He comes in flesh to dwell. God wraps himself in human flesh as God the Son for you and me. John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who we see. That's our king. He comes, Jesus, as God emptying himself out. Veiled in flesh. Then we see John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now as we delve into the gospel, guess what? That veiled in flesh, we get to see the layers of the veil peeled and peeled as we get to know Jesus more and more and more. And then through Jesus, we remember God the Father sends God the Son that we can be born again, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Because Jesus, Messiah, born to die, God comes veiled in flesh for us, our Savior, our King. Then we think of the miracle that we just saw in verses 1 to 15 of this, 38 years paralyzed, and rise, take up your bed, and walk. And remember, that walk was walk about in the Greek. Go everywhere. Let everybody see what you're doing. And then think about our deliverance, our paralyzed, sin-sick souls, stuck in the disease of sin, free in salvation to walk about for our King that we believe, and then we can't forget what the meaning of this whole gospel is. John 20, verses 30 and 31. We're going to look at that many times, because especially as we look at miracles and healings and the culture that we are in, I want us to make sure we don't get lost on emotion and experience. We remember it's about the word of God and the sufficiency of his word. Verse 30, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, what? Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. And when we think about Jesus, Son of God, coming for us, as he's going to, in this passage, explain his deity, as he, in this passage, is going to make it clear the power he has over death and life, the power that he has with judgment to come, we have to remember how he came. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. When we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it's posted up there. If you can't write it fast enough, I'll permit a technology for a moment to grab the snapshot of the verse so you can get it. But Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
So this is the mind of Christ Jesus that we're striving to have. Paul is exhorting us with. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Clear deity of him. The form and the presence of God. The robbery. There is no robbery. In him claiming to be equal with God, it takes nothing away from God. But what did he do? He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Notice, Jesus made himself. Jesus is not forced into doing this. He submits to God the Father. God the Son submits to God the Father and becomes a bondservant, coming in men and being found in the appearance as man, just like us. He humbled himself and in his humility, as God the Son, becomes obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Now, submission, subordination, those are words we don't like in our culture because we're prideful. No one's going to tell me I have to submit. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what I'm doing. But guess what? It's biblical. And there's an order in there. And we're going to see how that order of Jesus' submission gives us information about marriage, gives us information about family, gives us information about how we are to live. Because the God veiled in the flesh coming for us. If you want to celebrate Christmas right, saints, ponder that. How about you do that on December the 25th? Wake up, read that passage, ponder the greatness of our King. Ponder that He came veiled in flesh, that He chose in obedience and submission to God the Father to come, that we could have salvation. And the rest of that Carol that we all know, verse 3, and I'm going to read the last three verses of it. Hail the heavenly prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Rise with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second death. Remember that when we look at the resurrection. Birth, sorry, thank you. Woo! Good, testing you. Glad that you got that. Good job, everyone. (laughs) Thank you. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. I'm going to read well now, going forth. (laughs) Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power, ruin nature now restore. Now in mystic union join, thine to ours and ours to thine. Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee, thou lost, regain, thee the life, the inner man. O to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. Would you do carols this season? Look at the words. Say them correctly. But look at the words and truly remember Jesus at the focus. And if you hear this in a store, guess what? Now you're equipped to say, hey, do you know, do you know one of those lyrics talks about veiled in flesh? Do you know what that is? Do you know what that's talking about? Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about my Savior who came for you for this season? It's not about a big guy belly and a beard. It's about Jesus. So let's focus on that. And as we go through this text now, I want you to keep in mind all we just saw and reminded ourselves about our Savior. So let's stand and finally read the text for today, saints. Verses 16 to 30, John chapter 5. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. 
But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son." That all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself." And has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving your word for us. Holy Spirit, empower me, equip me, give me the words that are needed for your people. I pray that you help each and every single one of us here have our hearts, minds, and souls open to have illuminated and convicted and pierced with what you need by your living double-edged sword word, Lord, that checks our hearts and our thoughts. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that we can study it. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we look at verse 16... For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus. Now remember, the Jews, when we see that in here, that's that reminder to you, those are the the rulers. And in this moment, the council, the Sanhedrin, they would be coming because they need to figure out there's a new teacher in town. We've got to check him. We've got to look into him and see what's going on. And for the reason of what took place in breaking the Sabbath, they're coming to check. And again, it shows you their heart. They don't care about the fact that a man for 38 years who's been paralyzed is healed and now has life changing. That doesn't matter. What matters is the rule was broken. And we can't break the rules that we made up because then we lose control. They persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things when on the Sabbath. Now remember, we talked about the Sabbath last week. The Sabbath is given, but they added to what God gave And we saw that they had 39 different categories, if you remember from last week, that they added on that are all these rules that you have to follow with the Sabbath. One of them that I I still find fascinating, you can catch water in the bucket in the rain if it's just falling from the sky, but if it's going from the roof to the sky, no go. Don't do that. It has to just be the sky. These rules added that when we look at them, we see them, we're like, whoa, what are you doing? But if you break it, they're going to hunt you down. They're going to find you, and that's what they're doing here. But see what Jesus says in verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Now right away, they're going to go, whoa, because when they would be in settings like this, if you're talking of God, it would be our father, God. But he's saying my father. He's putting himself above. He's putting himself at a higher reign, has been working until now, and I have been working. He's reminding them here, guess what? 
Yes, the Sabbath was given at creation because God gave it to man as an example that we should take rest and remember what we saw. Its purpose was a witness for the nation of Israel to other nations as they take that day to rest, to focus on the Lord. But you've added a bunch of things. And guess what? Since then, my father's been working and I've been working too because we're one. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus challenges the legalistic traditions. And he's reminding them that the God of the Bible never sleeps or rests. And we have to remember that. If we see the covenant promise that he makes to Israel in Psalm 121, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 121, verses 3 and 4. He who will not allow your foot to be moved, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The day after the, everything went down on October 7th, that was the passage I actually shared with us as a church body to remember God's covenant promise to those people. And we see that again. He's not slumbering. He's not sleeping. He's God. He's about the business he's supposed to be doing. But in this verse, Jesus is saying, yeah, my dad's working and I've been working too. So your thing about the Sabbath, null and void. Then we see what happens in verse 18. Therefore, because of what he just said, The Jews sought all the more to kill him. Now they've got devil charge because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They understood. That's that our father, my father. They saw that. They heard that. And the context of what he's saying, he's saying, I'm I'm one with God. I am God. And they're not okay with that. So now they have a double charge and they're coming and they want to attack him because guess what? They deny his deity. That's what puts our Savior on the cross. Now, Jesus gets accused here. And when we see this next portion, he answers their accusation with three different claims. And we're only going to look at the first two today. One being that he is equal to God. And two being that he has authority over life and death and judgment to come. These are two things that he's going to respond to them with when they're saying, you're not God and you broke the rule. You broke the rule and you're not God. And he's going to say, actually, I am God. And I actually have judgment and ownership over life and death. And then next week we'll see the witnesses and examples that he gives. So we go on, verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now, most assuredly, if you're in the old KJV, you'll see verily, verily in there. This is a phrase that you're going to see over 20 times within this gospel. And when we see it, it's, it's two words in the Greek that go it's same time. And what we see here, this is like basically saying, hey, what I'm about to say is really important. Listen up. This is really, really important. Most assuredly... I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. The Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. Now, right there, that's where some people will extract that verse and say, do you see that? Look at what it just said. The Son of Man can do nothing of himself. He's not God. He can't do anything on his own. He's not God. Bam. Jesus isn't God. And they'll, they'll put a fork in the ground and you can't budge him. Now, we have to think about the whole context of this verse clearly, but look at what he says here. But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now, JWs, other religions that want to deny the deity by this verse, they're getting lost in something. God isn't saying he can't physically do anything 
Jesus isn't saying, I can't physically do it without God. What he's saying is morally, he has to always be in obedience to the will of God. That's what he has to do. And realize that, saints, our Savior, King Jesus, who is God, is in submission to God the Father. When you think about that, how can you not submit to God the Father? The Savior of the world is able to do that. It's not about the physical. It's about the moral. And Jesus does what he sees God the Father doing as God the Son. This would also mean something to them culturally. Because culturally within those times, guess what would take place? The Father and Son bond. The Son would be with the Father, see what the Father's doing. Whatever trade the Father does, the Son's going to learn that as their trade. They're going to learn, they're going to do that, and they're going to carry on within doing that. And think of everything that Jesus saw. He was there at creation. He's pre-existent. So he saw God creating. He saw God doing the invisible. God the Father teaches God the Son, and he passes that all on to Jesus. And Jesus, in submission to God, does what he calls him to do. And if we see, if we go just a hair to the beginning of verse 20, he does it because look at this. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself does. It's love. There's a love in there. So there's a nugget within this portrait that we get for marriage. Wives, I'm going to talk to you for a moment. So guess what? Wives, there's that verse that we all see in Ephesians. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then you've got coward men who have no backspine who use that as an authority over a woman and aren't in submission to God. That's not what we're talking about this morning. But if we think about this biblically, wives, if you want to follow your calling the best, look to Jesus. Jesus is equal to God. You are equal to your husband. But out of the love that God pours on, Jesus is in submission to God. Your submission comes out of the love that's poured out. So my question to the husbands, how are you doing with that love? How are you doing with that call? Love your bride as Christ loves the church. He's in submission to the Father. Are you in submission to the Father? Are you seeking to be the strongest man of God that you can be? And then how does it pour out to the children? Sons particularly we could focus on, but to children. We see in Ephesians 2, don't provoke children to anger, but bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. How are you doing with that? Men have to pour out that same love that God pours out. It's a heavy calling. That's why we need to be in prayer. That's why we need to be in prayer in one accord for many things, but for leadership, male leadership within the home, but also that we live out our biblical callings and that we're all able to first and foremost submit to who? God, the Father. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. God the Father and God the Son are united in that love. They are equal, the Son and Father, and they are united in that love. If you see, what we're seeing in this passage is quite fascinating because we're seeing equality with God, but we're also seeing submission and subordination to God all in one thing. Only Jesus could have us look at that. Only Jesus could do that. And then he's saying to them, he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. He's saying, you think this paralyzed guy healing is something. You ain't seen nothing yet, friends. There's way more that I'm going to do. You, have the, you haven't even seen it. We know, we have the, the whole roadmap with Revelation, but there is so much more to come. Verse 21. 
For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. So Jesus dismisses their rules very boldly. He points to his deity. He points to the love of God. And then he says, more to come. And then right after that, he's like, not only is there more to come, but I have power over death and life. And they would hear that, these religious rulers. And I think right away, there'd be like buzzes going on their head. They'd think of Deuteronomy 32, 39, which says, Now see that I, even I, am he, and besides, there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. They would remember that. They would be like, okay, wait a second. That's God. Only God has authority over life and death. They would remember 1 Samuel 2, 6. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings They would know these things and they would be even, you know, I think further infuriated, if you will, because they are saying, no, you're not, you're not God. And he's like, no, I actually am God. And I'm going to take now the authority that you know only God Jehovah has. Guess what? Me, Mashiach, yeah, I'm here. I've got this authority over life and death. It really is. He just, he goes there. Then verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. When I'm looking at this text, it's like, Jesus, you're just, he's just going right after another. Not only now is he claiming God, but he's now saying, as God the Son, God the Father has given me all authority over judgment. I'm going to be the one doing all judgment. And then we see that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I think that it could have ended there and it could have been the mic drop moment where he's just like, and boom, you're not honoring me, you're not honoring God. It's done. But see everything that he has laid out within that. He goes through, he proves, and he claims and owns his deity. He goes through, I have power over life and death. He goes through, I'm going to be the one that's doing the final judgment as the son of God. God the son is going to be judging. And then he says, guess what? If you're not honoring me, you're not honoring God. He's taken everything of their way of thinking about the world and done this to it. Just turned it upside down and said, nope, that's not the way. I'm the way. As he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We'll see later on in this. So now we see more most assuredly is coming up, which means this is important, which means listen up. Most assuredly, listen, he continues on. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life. Now, when we look at this, right before this, remember, he's made it clear it's a package deal. You have God the Father and God the Son. They're a package deal. You can't separate them. You either have all of them or you've got nothing. Then he talks about judgment to come because guess what? He's going to be judging. Now, that's where we can think as believers, okay, I really got to be careful. I don't want to be judged and be put in hell. I don't want to be judged and put in hell. Knock it off. Stop it. You're saved. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have eternal salvation. And right here, he's going to remind that those who hear and believe aren't going to be going there. Because listen, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Two part, hear the word. Second part, believe in him. Third part, everlasting life begins. And then, look at the second part of that, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. 
The judgment that we come into is going to be the judgment in, that you see in 2 Corinthians 5.10 where we are at the judgment seat of Christ. We don't go to the great white throne. We go to the judgment seat of Christ where we are judged for the works that we have done. And we're going to look at that later on. But it's being clear here, the eternal life, that judgment that's coming is the judgment that's going to condemn unto eternity away from him. How do you get rid of that? Hear the word, believe in him, everlasting life. We are in everlasting life. So as we think about this season, Christmas, as we think about all that, do you relish in that? Do you relish in that beauty? Do you embrace that? Do you cherish it? Do you carry it as a piece of gold, diamond, that you just relish and realize and say, thank you, Lord. Then verse 25, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. It's coming. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Inherent life. Jesus here now says inherent life. None of us can claim inherent life. I had a mom and a dad that they, they, you know, they made love and then bam, there I was. And that's that. And then they had a mom and dad and they had a mom and dad and so on and so on and so on. But for Jesus, look at what he says. It's inherent life in himself. And has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. The prophecy of Daniel 7.13 fulfilled. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. So we see that 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 is that illusion there, prophecy fulfilled. That's again something they would know. If you notice this, look at what Jesus brings to the table when adversity comes. Scripture. We see it in the wilderness in Matthew 4, and we see it here. These religious leaders, he's giving them things that points them to Scripture, would point them to things they know, and he's proving who he is. Then he says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So as we look at this now, he's going through the resurrection of life in these verses and he's talking about the judgment. Now there's four resurrections that we can clearly know and see that come from our Savior. The first one is the one he does coming out of the tomb. Hallelujah. Death can't hold him. We sang about that this morning. He comes out and he resurrects. That is now the way, the truth, and the life. And bam, only through him can you have salvation. The other death that he has power over and life and resurrection of life that he has power over is lost sinners. Lost sinners. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And this is reminding us of that power that he has. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right there we see it. He makes us alive. We're dead in trespasses and sins. If you know Jesus as Savior, you've got a testimony, you've got a birth story that I pray you're sharing with people and not just keeping to yourself as a rapture waiter. That you're sharing and getting out there and evangelizing and telling people that I have been made alive. I have been freed from trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit now works in the sons of disobedient 
among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. When we see that, saints, I hope it gives you a dose of humility. Because yes, our world is falling apart. Yes, there's so many crazy things going on and you can look and say this woke thing is going on and Chapel Hill is this and this place is this. But that doesn't mean that you then exalt yourself above them. Remember who you were before you met Jesus. And realize, but by the grace and mercy of God, where would you be? But for the mercy of our Savior. Just like verse 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. Powerful love. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Remember that. Relish in that. And raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's that reminder. It's a gift. You can't work to make it happen. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because if we think about it as works, it's look at how good I am. Look at everything I'm doing. That's not what it's about. It's all about God. It's all about him. That's the focus. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's the reminder. Remember who you were before Christ. Remember the gift of salvation. And then, saints, there's that call in there to be vigilant, be fervent in prayer. God, what would you have me do? I know it now was a few weeks back, but I remind us again. Dan, Ava, Pastor David, have you had a conversation yet to talk about what it is to have that calling from God to do something, to obey to go do it, to deal with the sacrifice, Big sacrifice. I don't know if I would have it to get on the plane after the war started. We're still going. Okay, let's pray. That's a sacrifice. There's a risk, but it's obedience. And that's what we're talking about. God prepared, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's things he has for us to do on this side of eternity and the other side of eternity. Remember who you are and be diligent about seeking what that is and remembering you're a new creation in him. You are new, new life. He has given life. So this is the resurrection of the believers next that we're going to see. Because this gives us the ability to be believers. He gives us this new life. Then the other resurrection that Jesus would be thinking of in this moment is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we read in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. There's worry. What about the people who are asleep that, that do believe in you? Do they not get to go? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore... Comfort one another with these words. And every time we read that as a body, 
Promise me this week, comfort someone with those words. We're called to do that, so do it. Actually comfort someone. Take a picture of it, send it to them via text, write it down, take a picture, send it to a brother or sister this week, and just say, just want to remind you in the midst of everything going on, and let the word speak for itself. It's that rapture. It's that tender moment. There's no rapture. What are you talking about? Genesis 5.29, Enoch, 2 Kings 2.11, Elijah. I personally believe those are two beautiful examples that prepare us to understand a rapture is plausible. And the word of God here says it, but if you need more proof, go to those verses. And if you still don't think there's a rapture, pastorvincentcalvarychapelhill.org, email me and we can have a conversation. Because it's a blessed hope that we have to look forward to. And we have to run the charge eagerly looking forward to that. Because this is one of the resurrections our Savior is pointing to in this moment. And the other one that he's pointing to is the one of condemnation. When we look at the end of verse 29 of our text, we see, and come, um, and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, which is a reality, which is a truth, which is something that is coming Turn to Revelation chapter 20. Now we're in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades, the last echoes of sin, death, the result of sin, gone. Hades, the result of death, gone, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is that judgment that will come. This is when you read that, you should be thinking and walking about, is the person that I don't know standing there, are they going to be in a lake of fire if judgment was right now? That's the urgency we have to look at this. Our culture has gotten, in my opinion, to a place where we don't want to talk about anything controversial. Don't say hell. Don't say lake of fire. That's so mean. It's truth. And I don't want you to end up there. So let us be mindful of that. Let us see that. The reality here of God the Father, the reality of God the Son, the reality of judgment to come. And when we look at that, ask yourself, why aren't you sharing that names are going to be written in the book of life? Are you actively sharing for names to be written in the book of life? Are you doing that? And when we see this, and we think about this, and we think about 2 Corinthians 5.10 and the judgment seat of Christ that the believers go to, I want to be clear It doesn't all become about works. Because I don't want us to look at this and then say, okay, i got to be the best I can be and i got to make a list of how many good things I'm doing and how many things I'm doing to, to be the best that I can be. No. When we go to the judgment seat of Christ as believers, we're going for rewards for our inheritance for what we've done for his glory. That's why there's that charge continually Run the race for his glory. Do what he's called you to do. Be obedient so that when you get there, he can see those things. And that's where, saints, we have to be mindful. The enemy, we looked at spiritual warfare and we looked at Ephesians 6 this past Wednesday. Demonic things want to keep you out of the center of God's will for your life. 
And you need to be vigilant and mindful. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't let him devour you. He can't take away the salvation that you've earned. It is everlasting. But what he can try to do is keep you out of the center of God's will. And don't have that game. Stay steadfast. Put on the whole armor of God that we read about in Ephesians 6. And in that passage, the part that I keep highlighting for us, praying. Don't be a person who puts on the whole armor of God and goes about the day, but you're not praying. That's part of it. Put on the whole armor and pray. Be communing with him. Be leaning on the Father. Then we go back to our text. So those are the resurrections that our Savior would be alluding to within verses 24 to 29. And then we see verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Now, saints, here's another one. I can of myself do nothing is one that people will take. And often it's funny when people are misusing Scripture, either fake believers misusing Scripture to say they can work a miracle in your life, or on this side where you have people who want to deny the deity of Christ, they never take the full context of everything. They just kind of extract. So they will take this. I can of myself do nothing. And see there, see, there you go. He's not God. He can't do anything. He can't do anything on his own. He's not God. Nanny, nanny, poo poo, you're wrong. No, that's not the reality. Let's actually look at this and let's actually take this in context, folks. Because Jesus, God the Son, look at what he says here. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He is God. And God the Son is in submission to God the Father, as we all should be. He is in submission. Jesus tells these rulers, essentially, in what we've looked at, I am God, I'm God the Son, I am united with God the Father through an everlasting love, And I have power over life and death. And I, God the Son, will be the one who judges. And then next week we'll see he goes on to give the witnesses that he has. To stand to his deity. To stand through to who he is. Proven, tried, and true. And saints, realize all that we just read. This Jesus is our king. Do you relish in that? That's who we're getting ready as you think about Christmas time coming. That's who you're getting ready to celebrate. In our house, we don't do the regular Christmas. Presents happen New Year's. Sorry, honey, I'm putting it all out there. Um, but we do Jesus' birthday party. And we, we, that's the focus. It's Jesus' birthday party. And he, you know, you're going to get to decorate a cake for Jesus. We're going to pray to Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to just focus on Jesus. That's what we need to keep the focus, saints. Because that's what it's about. God veiled in the flesh coming for you and me. That's the gift that we have. That's what we have. Jesus equal to God. Jesus fully submitted to God. Jesus loved by God. Inherent life within him that we can have life. Taking the judgment we deserve for the wages of sin is what? Death. And he took that judgment that we could be new creations. That's who we celebrate. That's who we relish in. So your charge for this week, saints. One, place Jesus at the center of Christmas. 
please place Jesus at the center of Christmas. Relish in his deity. Remember God veiled in the flesh for you and me. Read these verses and think of all the attributes that we just saw. Two, where are you with God the Father and God the Son? Where are you with God the Father and God the Son? Because it's a tender father-son relationship that we're a part in. Do you embrace his love? Do you embrace submission to God the Father and God the Son, allowing the Holy Spirit who dwells in you to enable you to do so? Are you here and you don't respect the deity of Christ? Let's talk about that. Because you might think you're honoring God, but you're not. You just saw that in Scripture. If you don't know God and you don't know Jesus, let's talk. Let this be the day that you're in the book of life, that you're not ending up in the lake of fire. It's promised. Don't end up there. Then three, who will you point to God, the Son, that they may know God the Father and be filled with the Holy Spirit? Who are you going to share with? We can't allow ourselves to sit through messages, through sit through Bible studies, grow, I'm learning so much, I'm learning so much, oh, I learned so much today, and you're not doing anything with it. You've got to share. You've got to fulfill that calling to be his hands and feet and point people to Jesus, Messiah. That's what we're called to do. And guess what? We're in Chapel Hill. Contrary to popular belief, we're going to stay in Chapel Hill. And guess what? We've got to evangelize in this area. We've got to be his hands and feet. Oh, they're so woke. There's no point. Y'all, I went, y'all, look at me. I went to a very, 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 very liberal college. I will not say the name, but a very extremely liberal college. And if people approached me with there was no hope because I was too gone, because I was, if you knew me before Christ, what would have happened? Be the hands and feet. The harvest is ready. We've got to do it. And take advantage of the season. It's Christmas. You have permission to talk about Jesus, always, but really, it's like the world opens a big door. Go forth and share. Share who he is. Share God veiled in the flesh that more names would be added to the book of life for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your truth, Lord God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us and help this body of believers to never be like these religious leaders who make it about rules, who make it about criteria that we want, Lord, that have nothing to do with your word or stretch your word, Lord, to bring condemnation unto others, Lord, and judgment unto others. That is not our call, Lord. And I pray you bring conviction into any hearts in this place who feel that way, Lord God, that you would bring repentance and renewal to their lives, Lord, that they would not be deceived, that their eyes would open to walking as you call them to walk. And Lord, help us to walk in the freedom of your word, to relish the gift of your grace and mercy, Lord, to see God the Father and God the Son and Holy Spirit and say, praise you, King. Help us to live for you better, Lord God. And Father, help us to make this Christmas season about you. Help us to not just think and have you be the afterthought, Lord. I pray that we're not just thinking about the decorations and the gifts that we're going to get people and the gifts we're going to get Johnny and Bobby, Lord, but that we're focused, Heavenly Father, on you because that's what this season's about. And Lord, this world is hurting. It needs truth. There are souls right now, Lord, walking about on this earth 
that if this was their last breath, they would be apart from you forever. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every single one of us be about your business. As our Messiah shows his father was working and he is working, help us to work for your glory, Lord. Help us to be obedient. Help us to serve you, Heavenly Father. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Have a good afternoon.